0: Amen.
1: We're gonna move into our time of instruction where God speaks and we're instructed. Uh, Greg's gonna be teaching from first John chapter two eighteen through twenty-seven this morning. And Miss Johnny Andrews is gonna to read. To- Thank you.
0: First John two, eighteen. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out that it might come of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might come, become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? that is the antichrist he who denies the father and the son no one who denies the son and the father whoever confesses the son has the father also let what you heard from the beginning abide in you if what you heard from the beginning abides in you then you too will abide in the son and in the father and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life abides in things to you about those who are trying to deceive you But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you your truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for your truth, for the word, um, that it is living and active, and that um, we're able to hear from you every time we open these pages. Thank you for the, um, the words that you've laid on Greg's heart. I pray that they would be of you and that, they'd be, um, that they would penetrate into our hearts and that um, we would grow closer to you and experience you this morning. Um, I pray for our church that we would live in your truth and that we would not be deceived um, and that we'd be confident that through knowing you that we know the truth. Um, yeah, just pray that you bless this morning and eliminate all distractions and um, anything that's not of you and help us to just encounter you this morning. Um, we love you. Amen.:
1: Testing. Thank you, Johnny. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. just look at you for a second. I'm excited to open this text with you. As we've been walking through 1 John, we uh, have seen that John is all about fellowship. John is specifically um, integrating doctrine with life. He is teaching us firm doctrine, um, but he is also expanding that doctrine, not just to theoretical knowledge, but its impact on our lives, its impact on our relationships, its impact on a relationship with God and how these two things, doctrine or knowledge or truth and intimacy, fellowship, relationship are integrated. They're not going to be things. They are one thing and this is what John is going to be specifically talking through today in 18 through 27, we've been talking about fellowship with God and that sin or darkness as we've walked through the last, this breaks our fellowship with God, that, that we walk in darkness as we've walked through the last few weeks um, of what does it look like to, to, to be in, in the battle of sin and to, to walk in holiness and truth. Today is going to take a little bit of a different turn. So John has been talking about somewhat of a a holy living that we experience now, he's going a little bit more inward and talking about our relationship in the church, our relationship with one another, our relationship together as the body of Christ. And so it's a transition from me and my relationship with God to us and our relationship with God, which is what the whole talk about to been about, but he's been leading us to this point. So we're gonna talk about two things today and we're gonna talk about multiple things within them, but the, the essence of these two things are, are declaration or denial, okay? Declaration is in his body. Are we going to declare the truth? Are we going to declare who Christ is in his body? In his flesh, in his salvation, in his promise, in his character, in his being, in his fellowship with God? list goes on. Or are we going to deny those things? Are we going to deny who Christ is, that he was in the flesh, his body, his fellowship with God, his promise of eternal life? Okay, we're either going to declare or we're going to deny. Is that clear? We can stop there? No. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through this text. And if you have your Bible, please open it, read it, follow along with me. We're going to look um, at other scriptures that will be on the screen that we can reference. But this is, this is going to push us to the reality of Jesus being embodied. Jesus is present here. Okay, Jesus is present in our gathering Together. We're going to declare that together. Just so you know, we're not going to deny, we're going to declare. Verse 18: Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. He starts off by first saying, Hey, the time is, is near, the time is coming that. It's, this is the last hour. Now, we can take two interpretations of this and say like, it's fundamentally the last hour, as in like chronological time, of like uh, the span of time of John saying, Jesus is coming right now, which he didn't. Or we can say it's, it's, a, it's an, epo- an, an epic, it's an epic, it's a, it's, a, it's a span of time, okay? and, and, and I, this is the, the interpretation that I would say is a both and, okay? I would say John is saying, yes, that is to come. Quoting Jesus, no one knows the time or the hour that is to come, that no one knows that, but yet be ready. Over and over and over we see in the gospels, Jesus saying the time is near, the time is near, the time is near. And we see in 1 Peter, him saying, like, there's going to be people who make fun of you about this last hour, this last time, that Jesus hasn't come back yet, so are you sure you really want to believe that he's promising to come back? And we may, like, slough that off of, like, that's no big deal, but if you're like me, it's, like, <laughs> it's a little frustrating. It's, like, it's always, like, hey, we're going to, um, it's confession. Okay. I wasn't planning on doing this. It's almost like um, we told Micah, our, our middle child, that uh, we were going to get him a basketball hoop for his birthday. His birthday was in June. Okay. We forgot this basketball hoop like two weeks ago. Okay. We fulfilled the promise, but he had asked. Seriously, he probably asked once a week for that whole span of time. And you can look at me right now, you can judge me hard, okay? But, but there's a reality of like, this is kind of what I feel um, in this, this idea of last hour. is like, oh yeah, like it's coming. I promise I'm gonna come. I promise I'm gonna come. I promise I'm gonna come. And it's like, yeah, but you don't deliver, okay? So this is all context. I, I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this, just specifically, Um, the reality that when Jesus resurrected, he told the disciples to watch, to wait. And that this is the, the, the hour of pruning, the hour of struggle, the hour of testing, okay? Jesus doesn't portray the kingdom of God expanding in much glory and greatness and power. He says the kingdom is unshakable, the kingdom will expand, but the kingdom is gonna, there's wolves, it's going to be a battle. Ephesians talks about this from, from uh, there's a spiritual battle, there's a war going on that we experience. So I want all this to say, this is context, okay, prepping us for the rest of the passage, that this is the hour of testing, if you want to say. This is the time of testing for us, for John, for his church. Why is it testing? Verse, why is it this struggle that they're experiencing. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Or if they had been of us, they would not have, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are. This verse is to us. How many of you guys have heard this verse before? Okay. This verse is typically quoted apart from everything else. And uh, that's good systematic theology, but bad biblical theology. Or a This verse is expressing a breaking or a, a breaking of the declaration of God, okay? It's breaking fellowship with the church. That's what it is. People are leaving the fellowship of the church. They are denying the church. They're not declaring that the church is true or that they wanna have fellowship with the church, they're denying the church. If you have been in the church for any length of time, there's a reality of, man, this, this is a hard battle. That there are people who are in the church, but then speak against it, or deny it, or eventually turn away. And this was, uh, this was a struggle battling. This was a struggle for the church. They were really wrestling and, and battling with this feeling of loss of relationship. And I think it's, I want to normalize that for us in that um, our relationship with the church, I just want to say it plainly, your relationship with the church, a church, matters. Your relationship with the church matters. It's not just a periphery thing. This is something that is fundamental for John. And he describes it in this way. They went out from us but they were not of us. Basically, that there were people internally, there were people among, but they left. And then there were people who were of, who declared, who owned, who stood fast. And for John, there's no middle ground. There's either you're gonna declare it, And own it or you're going to deny it and you're going to leave it it's one or the other the way that John talks about it is they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they're not of us that word plain is really interesting right it might become evident, clear. It might become observable. It might become clear. Who is declaring? Who is denying? And so either we're declaring in a bond, in truth, or we're denying and we're, we're severing, we're breaking. This was a struggle for Timothy. We can read in 2 Timothy, um, all, I mean the whole, the whole book, 1, 2, and 3, where Timothy really, really, really struggles with this. That he is in the church and yet there are people who are, who are causing divisions, who are, who are leading people astray, who are, are wanting people to, to, to go after different things. And Paul writes to comfort the, and, and, and he, he tells them, "To hold fast to the truth, to hold fast to what God has declared, that there are going to be people that leave. It's, it's, it, let them go. That's the sign of the times. It's, it's what is real in the last time. There's going to be a sifting. I want to tell you two stories. One, for me, of leaving the church, quote, unquote. Um, And they're very different stories, but they're, um, yeah. First one, I was uh, 16 years old, and I um, associated leaving the church with leaving Jesus. This was a clear break for me. I fundamentally said, I'm done. I don't want it anymore. Hypocrisy, the, um, well, my disrespect of leadership, the lack of example, lack of truth, lack, I mean, I I complained a lot about a lot of different things. But I associated it with Jesus and I said, I'm done. Um, about six months later, um, I found myself confronted with a teaching, uh, being in a setting that I didn't really want to be in, but I was being taught God's word and, um, it convicted me and my, I would say my eyes fundamentally opened at that time to see the beauty of God and the wonder of God. And ever since then, I've been praying for his church. I want you to notice the frame for me that when I left the church, I left Jesus. When I walked with Jesus, I walked with his church. These two things went together. Probably, I'm trying to think. This is about 10 years ago. Um, No, before that. Anyway, 13 years ago, I don't know the exact time frame, 13 years ago, um, I left the church organizationally and um, I was again frustrated with leadership, had a lot of critique on uh, different systems and structures. There wasn't anything theologically that was wrong even though I was kind of like, ah, eh, I mean, it could probably do better on these things. Um, and as a early 20-year-old had my opinion on things. And um, so I left that church and went to another church, and um, that was a season where, where Becca and I were like, man, we're, we just wanna follow Jesus. We're not gonna be a part of the church in any formal sense, we're just gonna follow Jesus. Well, that led us to being in a church in our area, and um, creating some new relationships, and um, always, you know, uh, I would say we, we consistently were in a teaching setting, celebrating communion, baptism, under the osprey of, so a little bit distant from it. And um, so I went to th- this other church, and probably six to nine months into that, I had a problem with leadership, I had a problem with doctrine, I had a problem with certain structures and systems, and I left. And I went back to my other church that I left the first time. I wanna be clear, I didn't leave the church, big church. I left a specific church. But as I look back in that season for me, those were seasons in which I intentionally broke fellowship with the church. Twice. And as I As I think about uh, As I think about that now, um, it grieves me because I was expressing um, division, hurt, decay, death towards God's people. I didn't have a good reason for it. I just didn't like it. That's pride on my part. It's arrogance on my part. And so what I want us to see in this is two things. There is the, the, the yes, there's the big church, but that big church is expressed in body, okay? That big C in this, the true church, is expressed in the body. The, the doctrine that we're going to get to in this, the truth that we're going to get to in this, that we're going to step into right now, but I want to apply it to this, is that Jesus wasn't in the flesh. Jesus wasn't embodied. The teacher, but he wasn't. a spirit was, you know, was this amazing uh, teacher, but he wasn't a person. And what is fundamental in this passage is John unites Jesus and his church. The church is the body of Jesus. He is the head of the church. This isn't just something that's like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. This is fundamental for John. You're either of it, you're of Jesus, and therefore of the church, or you're going to break fellowship with it. You're going to leave it. There's no way around it. And John talks about it as it become plain. He um, 1 Corinthians 11, Philip, you have that for me. First Corinthians 11 says it like this. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe out, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized ouch. When there are divisions in the church, I don't care what it's about, it reveals you. On, on both sides, for both parties, it reveals it's plain, it's clear. Verse 20, but you... Have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So John is is now transitioning to the, 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 the doctrine and the truth that is associated with this. The, the, the bond that holds the church together is truth. But this verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. Man, we could just stop there. As a believer in Jesus, as someone who is united in Jesus, you have been anointed. This word anointing, Paul is using as a play on words in the passage because um, the, he talks about the Antichrist in the verses previously. The Antichrist is against the anointed. Because Christ means anointed one. So either we're against the anointed or we're the anointed. There's, there's no yeah, that, it's it's clear. There's one. It's one or the other. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I just want to say, as we go into this, we are declaring, believing, holding fast as God's anointed, as His body incarnate, that we've been anointed. There is an anointing on the church. What does anointing mean? Anointing means consecration. There were prophets, priests being set apart about the person being anointed. There were prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament who were anointed, okay? They were anointed for a special purpose, for a special season, for special blessing, but also responsibility. And I want you to to see that not only is the church anointed, there's a specific calling and purpose and power that is given. When anointing usually happens, there is a a stirring, and I mean, as Scripture would say, the the Holy Spirit anoints us, that he fills us. And so that's this power associated with consecration that's true as a body but it's also true individually you have been anointed by by the not justin not Wes, not chris not josh by the holy one if you don't let me get your attention if you're not listening listen When we declare and confess Jesus, he anoints you. He comes to you and he gives you of himself. He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell you. He gives you power to overcome sin. He leads you into all truth. This is, really, this is really, really important. And it's important um, because the division that, that, that this church was experiencing was a division that, that there were special people who heard from God differently. You know, the special ones. They, 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 they had a knowledge, they had an experience, maybe they would even say by the Holy Spirit, that has led them to this new revelation and truth. Or this different manifestation that, that God has led me to this. And Paul's saying, <clears throat> you may claim that, that's great. But, you know, Victor and Todd and Johnny and John and, you know, Adam, they're, they're just as anointed. <laughs> Sorry, this is the point. What does this do, church? What does this do? It equalizes the playing field for us, right? If you've been anointed and I've been anointed and we have been anointed and in in being bound together in the declaration of Jesus, me or you, then there's not someone who's greater than me or you. Again, I'll go back to this idea of division. One of the main critiques that we've heard as myself when people have left is, has been a critique of, of Justin or myself. And, and what I think is interesting with John in this is, is he equalizes that. He says, no, when someone leaves, it's not about leadership. When someone leaves, it's about Jesus. It's about us. It's about a body that is greater than one person. Because that one person is Jesus. And his body is expressed throughout. So we've been anointed, and I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. So he's he's just again emphasizing this idea that, that there's a truth to hold to. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Okay, this is the crux. This is where they deny life come together. This is where the church and Jesus come together. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, verse 22. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. They deny Jesus. In 2 John 7, give me that one. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. John is coming against those who would say, Jesus isn't a real person. Jesus wasn't, I mean, he was, he was great, but he wasn't really in the flesh. And again, the church is the body of Jesus. You see how these things are related? the flesh of Jesus, denying the flesh of Jesus, that he wasn't human and that Jesus isn't made human, made flesh by us, his church. These things are fundamentally related. I didn't read this in any commentary. This is my special revelation for you, okay? But it is, it's, the, it's, the, it's the reality, church, that you and I are the body of our Lord. Do we see that in scripture? Do we see the, the church as the body of Christ in scripture? Okay. And here's why I asked that. I don't ask that like rhetorically because John is gonna say this, no one who denies the Father has, no, no one who denies the Son If Father. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. John repeats this phrase, what you heard from the beginning. John is saying, yeah, okay, and this is really, really important. John is saying, yeah, there may be new teaching, there may be new revelation, there may may be these new things, but let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Being heard from the beginning abide in you. There's this relationship between being anointed by the Holy Spirit and, and having this indwelling mystical relationship with God that he fills us and he gives us words and he gives us knowledge and he gives us understanding and and that is true those things are true but many people who have that orientation disposition maybe have a little distance from what they heard from the beginning and they say no I've been anointed I know all things how does he say it here I write these things to you that you, uh, verse 27. You have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing to teach you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it's taught you, abide in him. I don't need anybody to teach me. I don't, I don't need anybody to teach me. I got the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead me into truth. There have Quakers being whole schisms in the church, by this line of thinking, Quakers being one of them. That as I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit and have this power, then I'm going to deny what I've heard from the beginning. But yet John says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Continually. Ongoing. I think this is, let me be really clear on this. In my Christian life, there are always two things in balance, okay? Discerning and hearing and listening to the Lord and being grounded in His Word. Error one. I'm gonna discern, listen, hear from Jesus, and deny his word. You have zero grounding. There's, there's there, it's, it's, it's up for, there's a lot of freedom, which is great, but there's no rootedness, okay? Error two. I'm just gonna be centered on the word and not listen to the spirit or discern, okay? Equally dangerous. Why? Because it festers knowledge. It festers this idea of pride that as Jesus, do you think you search the scriptures and you know me? John 6, no. A a, a relationship with God does not mean that I read the Bible. A relationship with God means a a dynamic of, of fellowship with him and fellowship with his body. So this is, this is what John is communicating, is these two realities of how do we combat doctrine, okay? This is the point. How, and we, we combat doctrine by two things. One, we discern and we perceive the anointing that God has given to us, and we are rooted in what we heard from the beginning. You guys, you guys hearing me on that? It's the word and the spirit, Okay, this is why this is really important. Because some of us don't read our Bibles. Or read our Bible maybe once or twice a week. Okay. Why is that? Why is that? That's um, in the world. A learning opportunity because we're not being rooted in the Word. We're not being grounded in the truth. As John says here, is coming, we combat those who are denying that Jesus is, is come in the flesh. How do we deny that, that that Jesus is the truth? Well, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. We could go to John one, we could go to John six, where. John is quoting from the Gospel of John here in in this relationship between the Father and the Son. Maybe you don't know that. Well, maybe we should study the book of John. This is how this works in my life. Okay, This, this dynamic of flesh and spirit. Before I tell you my own example, we're gonna go to Hebrews chapter five. Okay, this is one of my favorite passages and what I pray for my kids, uh, what I pray for our church, and um, this, is, this is a fundamental passage for me. Hebrews 5, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He's talking about um, many of you should become teachers, um, but you haven't uh, been grounded in the word, okay? There, here we go. Uh, For you thought by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Okay, what do we see in this? Dole of hearing, go back, dole of hearing, should become teachers, but we don't know the basics, okay? For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the spirit of righteousness, going to let that sit. Your maturity depends on your skill with this. Okay? For those who have their power, skilled in the word of righteousness. Since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the sign of maturity that the author of righteousness. First, number one, Be skilled in the word of righteousness. You guys hear me on this? Be skilled in the word of righteousness. Just like a samurai. A ninja. I don't care who you are. Do you have skill in the word of righteousness? Okay? Now, once we have skill... In truth, we can have solid food for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's not just skill in the truth, but now we have between good and the powers and skills to discern and distinguish between good and evil. What does that require? What does what discernment require? The Holy Spirit. Thank you, Chris. John is portraying, this is, this is the reality, church, that John is portraying here. He says, no one needs to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit. You have knowledge because of what you've heard from the beginning, you've abided in. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt." Do you guys see a connection between this and what John's saying? Yeah. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Be skilled in the word of righteousness. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Let your powers of discernment be trained by constant practice. There are people who are going to leave you and the church, and they're going to deny the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, and they offer him up to Contempt. I said from the beginning that this is about declaration or denial. Declaration or denial. Declaring that we are one with the church and unifying ourselves with her, or denying the church that it is Jesus' body. Declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has come in the flesh. Denying that he has come in the flesh, and that he is in union with the Father, or the Spirit denying the word, or the Spirit declaring that we must be rooted in what we heard from the beginning, be anointed. I would be amiss to read this passage and not talk about abiding. I see Avery here. And um, this idea of abiding is what John says, as as he says, um, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Church, that Jesus said it this way in John 15. There's going to be pruning, there's going to be growth. That I will cut off branches to purify the church. Other branches to grow the church. And he even says, if something is growing and doing well, I'm going to prune it and cut it off so that it grows stronger. This idea of abiding in Jesus manifests itself in abiding in his church, abiding in his word, abiding in the doctrine of who he is, or denying it and being cut off. All the commentaries that I read on this were, it was, this is a warning. This is a warning passage. Don't do this. Be be aware, be cautious of this. As well as, as, as a passage that equips us, that strengthens us, that I hope you hear The takeaway for me from this is am I, literally, am I abiding in Jesus, okay? Am I abiding in Jesus? What does that mean, church? I said, I'm gonna repeat myself so that you get this. It means abiding in his word, abiding in his spirit, abiding in his church. That's what it means. Am I abiding or am I denying? And I'll close with this. Verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. I'm sorry, verse 28. I'm in shame. And abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Church, we have the opportunity to not just wait for the coming of Christ in fear or regret but we have the opportunity, or or being scared, or, or shame, as the passage says, but we have the opportunity to wait for the day of Christ with confidence. With confidence. Is confidence arising for you in your relationship with the Lord? Do you have confidence in Christ? We can have confidence and assurance in his word, in his anointing, in his spirit's work, and in his church. That's where we have confidence. Or, we can shrink back. The choice is ours, actually, the choice is yours, because I can't make a choice for you. Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have given us your word and your hope. I'm gonna look at me real quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause, and I just wanna say this all leads to the promise of eternal life. Verse 25. This is the promise that he made to us Eternal life. Abiding in Jesus leads to eternal life. I just wanted to make that comment for you. That's, that's free. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your anointing of us. Lord, I pray that we as your ecclesia would be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Jesus, that you would bind us together as we declare that you are the Christ. Lord, I pray that as we experience pruning, as we experience breaking, Lord, we know it's gonna come. Thank you that you have warned us. Lord, I pray that we would not shrink back in shame, but live in your confidence. Or that you teach us by your word and by your truth and through your body as one as we teach one another. For the Lord, have your way among us. Thank you for the warning of this passage, as well as its encouragement that you are indwelling us as your body.